Bibles this morning to the book of Acts chapter 19. We'll jump back into our study through the book of Acts. We'll be reading verses 8 through 20. And he entered the synagogue and he continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way, before the multitude, he withdrew from them, and he took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. This took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued both of them, overpowering them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known to all both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Many also of those who had believed kept coming and confessing and disclosing their practices. Many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of all. And they counted up the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. And so the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. So we rejoin Paul on his missionary journey as he enters into the city of Ephesus. He finds a group of disciples there. That means believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus. And he asks them the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And he's asking them, had they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit since they became believers? Uh, Are you like the believers in Samaria in Acts chapter 8? They had come to believe in Jesus. They received Christ as their Lord and Savior. They were baptized in the name of Jesus. They were saved. They had the Holy Spirit in them. Later, Peter and John came down and prayed over them to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit for work and service. John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And so Paul's wondering, are these believers like the believers in Samaria who were saved? Of course, you have the Holy Spirit in you when you're saved, but have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And their answer is, we didn't even know there was such a thing as the Holy Spirit. And so he questions them about their baptism. 
Because when you come to believe in Jesus Christ and receive him as your Lord and Savior, and you show your saving faith through water baptism, the Spirit comes to dwell within you. So how is it that you don't know anything about the Holy Spirit? So he questioned them about their baptism. They said, well, we were baptized in John's baptism, meaning John the Baptist. Well, John's baptism was a baptism for repentance. That's only the first step in salvation. First repentance, then saving faith in Christ demonstrated by being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so when they came to understand more fully, they were water baptized again in the name of Jesus Christ. Their salvation is secure. They have the Holy Spirit in them. And then after that, he lays his hands on them and they pray for them. The baptism of the Holy Spirit comes upon them. The gifts of the Spirit are distributed and they begin speaking in tongues and prophesying. So Paul remains with those disciples in Ephesus. The next three months, he's going to be in the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue, reasoning with the Jews explaining to them that faith in Jesus as the Messiah is reasonable. Going through the prophecies, Isaiah chapter 53, Psalm chapter 22, and many other prophecies because God laid out many uh, uh, events surrounding the Messiah so that it would be easy for his people to recognize the Messiah when he comes because all the prophecies will be fulfilled in him. So he's reasoning with them for a period of three months, and those who, among the Jews who were going to believe, believed, but there were others who really hardened their heart and they were speaking evil of the way and they were becoming belligerent and hostile. So rather than allow his ministry to become heated arguments, he just withdraws from them. He goes over to the school of Tyrannus. He was a philosophy teacher, it was a school of philosophy. So they either rented out space to Paul or donated space to Paul to start a Bible school. And Paul spent the next two years daily teaching, 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 every day in the school of Tyrannus. That is the greatest need in the church today. He stayed there two years. What was he doing every single day? Teaching, teaching, teaching. Why? It's the only way believers can grow spiritually. It's the only way that we can come to maturity, come to a mature faith where our ability to trust in God is so strong. We don't have to live with fears and anxieties anymore. We know his love. We know his power. We know his promises. No matter what's going on in our lives or in the world, our minds and our hearts are at rest. But that's because we have grown. We have come to maturity through the continual teaching of the word of God. We grow close in our relationship with God through teaching because we, we learn more about his mind, his heart, and his nature. We grow much closer in our walk with the Lord, walking closer and closer with the Lord because we're growing in our understanding of what pleases him and what displeases him and what honors him and what doesn't honor him. So spiritual growth and maturity comes through teaching, teaching, teaching. God knows that. The Apostle Paul knows that. You know who else knows that? Satan knows that. So the father of lies, the deceiver, is hard at work in the minds of pastors, preachers, teachers, religious 
leaders to convince them if you center your ministry, your philosophy of ministry on the teaching of the word of God, people will be bored and people just won't come. If you want to have a large, growing, thriving church, you've got to come up with some creative ideas concerning philosophy of ministry and philosophy of church growth. You're going to have to do something that's really going to attract the crowds, something fun, something really uplifting, maybe pump people up emotionally, uh, something very exciting or entertaining or whatever. Satan doesn't care what the philosophy of ministry is as long as it's not the teaching of the word. He doesn't care what the new creative philosophy of church growth is as long as it's not the teaching of the word. That's the only way we can grow spiritually, but that's the only way the church can grow numerically. That's the only way for the expanding of the kingdom of God. Did you notice in verse 10, at the end of two years, teaching daily in the school of Tyrannus, all of Asia had heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. He's in one place teaching, teaching, teaching daily for two years, and his students were sharing what they had learned about God with friends, neighbors, relatives, co-workers, and then they were sharing what they were learning about God with friends, neighbors, and co-workers. After two years, all of Asia had heard the word of the Lord. This is a biblical philosophy of ministry that we must cling to, a biblical philosophy of church growth because the church is an organism, not an organization. You can be sure it's going to grow if you feed it. I don't have to worry about how to make my little boy grow when he's two years old. I don't have to worry. What if he stays this little his whole life? That would be terrible. What do I have to do to make him grow? I don't even have to stress out over that. I just have to feed him. <laughs> He'll grow automatically. And God knows. He said, Jesus said to John, because John was called to a full-time ministry, here's the number one way you can show your love for me. If you love me, feed my sheep. And if his sheep are well-fed, what will they do automatically? They will multiply. Healthy sheep multiply. So we can never let go of the biblical philosophy of spiritual growth and church growth. The teaching, teaching, teaching of the word of God. But there was something else going on during those two years. God was doing extraordinary miracles through the hands of Paul to the point where they were taking aprons and handkerchiefs that belonged to Paul to sick people, and they were being healed. The aprons they wore while they were working so that they wouldn't soil or uh, damage their clothing. And the handkerchiefs were sweatbands. They would wear them around their head to keep the sweat from dripping into their eyes while they were working, or it would just be a cloth nearby that they could use to wipe the sweat off their brow while they are working. But there was no power in the apron or the handkerchief so how are these people being healed? Excuse me. God was honoring the faith of the people that were receiving Paul's aprons and handkerchiefs. Oftentimes, our faith is a passive faith. It is when it, our faith becomes an active faith we see the work of God. It's when we take a step of faith. And often there's a point of contact that triggers our faith, and God will honor that. Like the woman who was physically afflicted for 12 years, she took a step of faith. She pushed her way through the crowds to get to Jesus, believing if she could touch the hem of his garment, she could be healed. And she made it to Jesus, and when she touched the hem of her gar his garment, 
She was healed. There was no power in the hem of his garment. The power was in Christ, and it flowed through him because God was honoring her faith. When she touched his garment, she believed that she could be healed. She believed that she was going to be healed. And Jesus said, go your way. Your faith has made you well. That is why the Bible instructs us to lay hands on the sick. These signs shall follow those who believe. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And so when the body of Christ is laying hands on me when I'm sick, oftentimes that will trigger a very passive faith and I will believe that the power of Christ is flowing through them into my body for healing and I'll begin to believe I can be healed. I'll begin to believe I am being healed and then God honors that faith. That's why the Bible instructs us, if you're sick, call the elders or the pastors of the church and have them anoint with oil. There's no power in the oil, it's just oil. But if you anoint with oil, the prayer of faith will heal the sick. Why? Because when that oil is dabbed on my head, I realize that's a symbol for the Holy Spirit, and I begin to believe that the Holy Spirit is coming upon me for healing. I begin to believe I can be healed, or I begin to believe that I am being healed, and God honors that, and that's what's happening here. Now, some people might say, that's stupid, that's ridiculous, that's foolish, I, I, I don't believe that could happen. How can human hands on a sick person bring a miraculous healing? How could a dab of oil on somebody's head bring a miraculous healing? I don't believe that. Well, then they're never going to see a miracle from God. They're never going to experience a miracle from God because they're never going to hear, be it unto you according to your faith. They're going to hear, be it unto you according to your unbelief. Be it unto you according to your cynicism. Now, having said that, remember there are many charlatans out there that are seeking to use religion for personal financial gain, and they're seeking to exploit the people of God. Maybe you've heard it on the radio, maybe you've heard it on TV, maybe you've received letters in the mail saying, if you will give a generous donation to this ministry, Pastor so-and-so has prayed over his handkerchiefs, and he will send them to you. And if you pray over them, you will be healed or you will be delivered. It's men of depraved minds that think that godliness is a means of financial gain. Don't pay any attention to them. Don't be deceived by them. There's a bunch of quacks out there, but those quacks are going to be dead ducks on the day of judgment for uh, what they're doing to the, the body of Christ. So, when you hear these things, you get these things in the mail, don't pay attention to it. Paul didn't charge for this. He didn't ask for any donation because Jesus said to his disciples, freely you have received, freely give. But having said that, let's not limit God in our minds. Let's continue to believe that God can do anything. There is such a thing as the gift of healing. We read about it. It's in the list of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. And there are, there are believers who have the gift of healing. And at times, God will use them to pray over someone who's sick and they will be healed. Now, if someone who has that gift has great compassion for some people that are, are sick and he feels led by God to pray over a stack of handkerchiefs and then mail them out to those sick people, not asking for anything in return, no personal benefit involved in this, it could happen. We read about it 
right here. Let's not limit God. Let's continue to believe that God can do all things. So diseases are fleeing. What else is happening? Evil spirits are departing. Evil spirits are being cast out. Now, there were seven sons of a chief priest by the name of Sceva, and they were exorcists. They weren't Christians. They were Jews, Jewish exorcists. And they made a living by traveling around, casting demons out of people. And, and, and they did pretty well because they got paid whether the demons came out or not. And we don't even know how successful they were, but they had their rituals and their incantations and, and their methods. But when they saw how quickly and easily Paul was casting demons out in the name of Jesus, they decided they were going to emulate Paul. And so two of the sons of Sceva came to this one demon-possessed man, and one of them said, I adjure you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. Come out. And the demon just laughed. I mean, the demon spoke. When someone is demon-possessed, an evil spirit can get control of the motor functions of their body, make them blind, make them deaf, get control of their vocal cords and their speech apparatus. And, And the demon spoke through the man and said, hey, I recognize Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? (laughs) And jumped on them and began beating them up, really thrashing these guys. We know that a demon-possessed person has additional strength beyond their own human strength. Like the demon-possessed man in Mark chapter 5, he could break chains and shackles with his own hands, and no one could subdue him. This guy jumped on these these men, and he was really beating them up, ripping their clothes off of them. The scripture says here that they fled wounded and naked. It's a reminder to us. If we don't want to get beat up by the evil one, by the enemy of God, and you, you see people who are getting beat up by life, just beat up by this world. Well, they're really getting beat up by the God of this world because they've chosen to do his will instead of God's will. They've chosen to serve him instead of the Lord. They've actually given power and control, and they don't have to be possessed to give power and control over their lives to the evil one. And here's how you know that you've done that. There's a behavior pattern that's ruining your life. It's destroying your relationships. It's tearing apart your family. It's already cost you a good job, and so you don't want that in your life anymore, and you determine to try as hard as you can to change that behavior pattern and you discover you can't. The world calls it addiction. The Bible calls it slavery. We've entered into a slave-master relationship, but our master is a cruel master and he enjoys beating us up. He gets his thrills by our pain and our suffering. That's why we need to give our lives to Jesus. Yes, it's a slave-master relationship. We are bond slaves of Jesus Christ, but we have a kind master who only cares about our well-being. We need to give control of our lives over to him. It's not pride. It's not lust. It's not greed. It's not selfishness that controls me anymore. I can say I'm controlled by the love of God of Christ. And so we want, to, we want to give our lives over to the Lord. If we don't, and we get sick and tired of some behavior pattern that's ruining our lives, and we recognize it's the evil one, good luck saying, Satan, I command you in the name of Jesus whom Paul spoke about. Leave me alone. Get out of my life. He'll laugh at you, and he'll just go right on beating you up. 
receive Christ. And then he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Then you can use the name of Jesus. And at the name of Jesus, Satan trembles and demons flee. So sicknesses were departing, demons were fleeing. There's all these wonderful miracles, extraordinary miracles that were taking place. And and what do we read in verse 17? Fear fell upon the people and the name of Jesus was being magnified. The fear of God came upon the people. Whoa, this is a powerful, powerful God. I certainly wouldn't want to incur the anger and wrath of this God. Is there a way that I can be pleasing to God? Is there a way that I can be right with God? Is there a way I I can know I can be accepted by God? And they're open to the gospel. The name of Jesus suddenly was being magnified with the people in this city. He's not only a powerful God, look what a loving God he is. Look what a compassionate God he is. Helping, caring about hurting people and helping them, healing them and delivering them. I want to know that God. I want that God in my life. And and that's what happens uh, when God is working in our lives. And, And then we just have testimonies. The word of God is being taught, teaching, 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 and then God is working in our lives, and we just share our testimonies with people, friends, neighbors, workers, relatives, the awesome things that God has done in our lives and the answers to prayer that we have received. Fear falls upon the people, and the name of Jesus is being magnified. And here's how they knew revival had come to Ephesus. The people were turning away from their former belief system and their former practices. They were forsaking their superstitions, very superstitious culture. Most people in that culture purchased amulets to carry around for protection and good luck. Sort of like people today will wear or carry around a St. Christopher medal for protection or safety on journeys or carry around a rabbit's foot for good luck. And they said, we're done putting our trust in those things. We're going to put our trust in this powerful, loving God. And so... um, They were forsaking their practices. Many people in Ephesus were steeped in the occult and they were practicing black magic and and witchcraft. And and boy, they were well-educated. They knew exactly what rituals to perform for protection. They knew exactly what type of rituals and incantations for prosperity. What kind of rituals to do to put a hex on somebody, to put a curse on somebody? And there was power in the occult, but not compared to the power and glory of Jesus Christ. So they were ready to forsake all that for something far better. And so they brought all their magic books to a central location and burned them in the fire. And it must have been a huge bonfire because the value of the books was 50,000 pieces of silver. That's a year's wage for 150 men. In those days, a year's wage for 150 men. That's a lot of books on magic. And that's the, that's the sign that revival has come. When people start taking out the trash that's in their lives, and say, I don't want this anymore. I found something so much more beautiful, so much more valuable. What I used to put my trust in, what used to be so valuable to me, looks like garbage now. It's time, to, it's time to take out the trash compared to the life that I can have in Jesus Christ. And so uh, many of you have experienced this. Many of you have, when you came to know the Lord, decided, I don't need to read my horoscope every day. <laughs> 
I don't need my astrological forecast. I'm going to get rid of that. Throw that out. I'm going to burn that. Those steamy romance novels. I don't want that anymore. I've got something so much more beautiful, so much better. Every issue of Playboy for the last 20 years, quite a collection. I'm a Christian now. I don't want that anymore. But it's got to be valuable. I'll have a garage sale. No! You're not going to put those things in other people's hands. You're going to take it out and you're going to burn it. And you realize some of that heavy metal rock music, got to burn some of those CDs. <laughs> or that vile gangster rap. Throw it out. Get rid of it. Burn it. That's when revival takes place. Whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. We come alive spiritually when we take out the trash, burn it like the controlled fires in a dump site. You know, don't want it, don't need that anymore. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything except the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if, if you start losing your appetite for the word of God, there's a reason why. It's because of all the junk food you've been eating. I'm not going to be hungry for a healthy dinner if I have been snacking on cupcakes and donuts and ice cream all afternoon. I have no appetite for dinner. I'm not hungry. That's the reason believers lose their appetite for the word of God. We've just been feeding our minds and our souls on junk food and, and, and garbage. The mindset on the spirit is life and peace. The mind set on the flesh is death. So whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is honorable, whatever is lovely, whatever is worthy of praise, I'm going to set my mind on those things. I'm going to feed my mind and my soul with those things. Then my appetite for the word of God comes back and I begin looking forward to my times reading and meditating in the Bible. And I get excited all over again thrilled by the revelations and insights and understanding that the Holy Spirit is giving me as I read and meditate in the word of God. Riches better than silver and gold. He's given to us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us. I love studying through the book of Acts because passages like this cause us to realize what the church used to be like and what the church can be like today. So let's pray that the revival that's taking place in Ephesus would take place in our community. And let's pray that everybody in our church gets baptized in the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit are distributed to everyone so that we're seeing the wonderful, exciting, extraordinary works of God in each other's lives. And then we have all these wonderful testimonies to share with the world. I guarantee you, the fear of God will come upon the people and the name of Jesus will be magnified. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for 
showing us what your church was like and can be like. Lord, our prayer today is we will be filled and empowered by your spirit. Our prayer today is that you would show us what the junk food is and what the trash is that needs to be taken out and burned so that we can come alive in the spirit and truly live for you in these last days. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've come to understand what it's all about, what it takes to be accepted by God in heaven, you've come to understand, it's not if I work hard enough to be good enough. It's not if I work hard enough to be holy enough. It's not if I have enough good works. Because I've broken God's laws. And God is a just God, and and so justice has to be done. And when justice is done, I have to be punished for my sins. I get it. That's why he sent his beloved son to die, suffer and die such a horrific death on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins so that my faith in Christ, putting my trust in Jesus Christ, my sins are paid for in full. The wages of sin is death. He died for me. He paid my debt. He paid my ransom. I can have the assurance of heaven by knowing Jesus Christ as my own personal Lord and Savior. And that takes place when we simply invite him into our heart and into our life. Heaven is a prayer away. And if you'd like to receive Christ and pray that prayer today, whether you're here in this room or whether you're watching on live stream, I invite you to pray this prayer after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I have sinned. I have fallen short of your righteousness. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Thank you, Jesus, for suffering and dying for me. I believe in you, and I desperately need you. I have no hope of heaven without you. Come into my heart. Wash me and cleanse me from all sin. I receive your forgiveness. I receive the free gift of eternal life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you opened the door of your heart. What did Jesus say? I will come. And you prayed that prayer, Christ dwells in you. You can spend the rest of your life rejoicing in your salvation, rejoicing what Jesus did for you. Knowing that your salvation is guaranteed, knowing that there's a place in heaven prepared and waiting for you. And now all we need to do is just go share the good news with the lost world. If you're hurting or struggling today and you could really use some prayer, we do have a prayer room. It's just door over here to my right. Please feel free to make your way on over after the closing song. Let's stand.